Bibles, turn to Revelation chapter 21, Revelation chapter 21. We're continuing the series of the afterlife, and we're in actually our fourth week. Uh, we had a couple weeks in June, and then we've had three weeks here, or we'll have three weeks here in July. Now, back in June, we looked at the descriptions of heaven. And I think many of us recognize those descriptions, the streets of gold, the walls of jasper, the foundations of all the jewels that you find, the best things of this world to describe the mundane things of the world to come. But then the week after that, we looked at the beings of heaven, those who are gathered around the great worship service that's going on there around the throne, the 24 elders, the four living creatures, and all those who are gathered there, millions upon millions of angels are there around the throne. Last week, we looked at the people of heaven. And of course, those people consist of those who have accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, basically have come to him or come to God on the terms that Jesus set forth and those who are there. And we looked at the, the body that we'll all have, if you know Jesus Christ, that glorified body and, and, and what we'll be doing many, in many places there in heaven and also what will our relationships look like. Uh, next week, we're going to look at the alternate to heaven. And of course, that's, not, that's the flip side of all this. And we'll be looking at that next week. But today, I want us to look at the opportunities in heaven. Look there on your outline. Many have speculated and wondered what heaven will be like. Uh, one thing that sticks out is this question, will it be boring? Uh, I was sharing with the Wednesday night group that I'm just going to be honest with you. When I was a child, I thought heaven was going to be sitting in church for eternity. I really did. How many of you kind of thought the same thing? I even had preachers I remember would say from the pulpit, man, if you don't enjoy being here today, you ain't going to enjoy heaven. I was sitting there like, oh, my goodness, please give me a little more to offer here. I mean, <laughs> and, and I remember thinking that as a child and, and, and wondering, you know, is, is it going to be just one big worship service? And, you know, that's okay because there we won't be separated from who God really is and the throne and all that surrounds the mystery of it. But, y'all, there's so much more to heaven than even the worship around a throne. And so that's what I want us to talk about. Will it be boring? Will we work? Will we learn? What will the opportunities be in heaven? And the first thing I want you to see on your outline is it is a splendid place to live. Now, uh, from the first week of the series, again, we looked at the description of heaven. And, and I think many of us, if you've read anything about heaven, you would say, yeah, that would be a cool place to go. And I think many of us are there, but, but I want us to look at what, what is this place called heaven? And we're going to review from the week, from the first week. First of all, there are three heavens that, that we tend to see in scripture. First of all, there's the intermediate heaven. It appears that that's mentioned in Revelation chapter 4. It's the present day heaven. It's uh, possibly what Jesus called paradise. It's a place we, we will go until the resurrection of our bodies. The intermediate heaven is a temporary stop on our way to a more permanent place. So, it seems from Revelation chapter 4 that the throne of heaven is part of this intermediate heaven. Jesus told the thief on the cross, you remember that conversation? That on this day you would be with me, he was talking of himself, in paradise. Now, after our time in this intermediate heaven, what's next? Well, there's something in the scripture called the millennium heaven. The millennium heaven. It's mentioned in Revelation chapter 20. What is this millennium heaven? 
Well, in chapter 19 of the book of Revelation, we come to the end of what is known as a tribulation period at the battle of Armageddon. There at that battle, we know from Scripture, Jesus is coming back. He defeats the armies of the world, and it is there that he sets up his kingdom, and we enter into a thousand-year reign where Jesus is reigning here on earth. How many of you would like to sign up for that? That would be pretty cool, wouldn't it? That is what we call the millennium heaven. Now, after this millennium heaven, the enemy, uh, or after this, the enemy who was eternal, who was bound for a thousand years will be released once again. The Bible says to deceive the nations once again. There's a lot in that. But the thing is, I want you to understand, after this thousand years, he's going to be bound for eternity. Good news, right? But not only that, the lost will be condemned to their destination also called the great white throne judgment. So all these things are happening. So after the millennium heaven... We then come to what chapter 21 describes as the eternal heaven, the eternal heaven. In Revelation chapter 21, look at verse 5. It says, Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, this is uh, John, write, for these words are true and faithful. He's saying, write what I'm getting ready to tell you, and you can count on what I'm getting ready to tell you. Verse 6, And he said to me, It is done. He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Now, what's interesting about the terminology that he uses here in verse 6 is the fact that it appears that that God the Father is telling us we have now come to the end of what we call time, the end of time. Now, Now, think about time. Time sits in the middle of eternity. Did you know that? Did you know where time is, where we, uh, our reality of time, that on one side of time there's eternity and on the other side of time there's eternity? Did you know that? And, and that's what seems to be implicated here, that, that basically God the Father is saying, the beginning and the end, it all rested with me. I created the beginning, I created the end. I'm the one who started this thing, I'm the one who's going to end it. But listen, he's not going to end it as it relates to our existence. He goes further to tell us more about it in the, pre, in the next verses. So now we've entered what is called the eternal heaven. No more time. There's nothing left on the calendar for God to do. Now we go into eternity. It ta- is talking about the end of time and the beginning of eternity. Now, look on your outline. It's not just a splendid place to live, but a satisfying place to live. I want you to think about heaven. We know it's not a boring place. God is not a boring God. How many of you know that? He's not. Heaven will not be boring. Randy Alcorn, some of you have done the study, writes in his book called Heaven. Listen to this. I love what he says. He says, our belief that heaven will be boring betrays a heresy that God is boring. There is no greater nonsense Our desire for pleasure and the experience of joy come directly from God's hand. He made our taste buds, our adrenaline, our sex drives, and the nerve endings that conveys pleasure to our brains. Likewise, our imaginations and our capacity for joy and exhilaration were made by the very God we accuse of being boring. Are we so arrogant as to imagine that human beings came up with the idea of having fun? We didn't come up. He did. Now, we've corrupted it in many, many ways. 
But he came up with the whole idea of pleasure. He came up with the whole idea of joy and fun. He created that. Someone asked, won't it be boring to be good all the time? I remember when I was a youth pastor, or student pastor is what we call it now. It's more official. Student pastor. I remember um, back then I did a series on heaven, and we talked about it. And, and I actually had teenagers ask me the exact same question. Wouldn't it be boring to be, to be good all the time? Now, now listen to this. Note the assumption that says sin is exciting and righteousness is boring. We have fallen for the enemy's lie. His most basic strategy, the same one he employed with Adam and Eve, is to make us to believe that sin brings fulfillment. Did you know that's not true? It, there may be a temporary moment of pleasure. There may be a temporary moment of fulfillment. But how many of you have lived long enough and made mistakes big enough to know that it doesn't last? It doesn't last. The very things that we seek from this world, the very thing that we pursue our, our lives with many times are the things that are outside of who God is, and, and they will not last. So listen, sin does not make life interesting. It makes life empty. How many of you know that from experience? I have. And I haven't lived near as long as some of you. But I've been there. Sin does not create adventure. Sin's emptiness eventually leads to boredom and despair. When there is fulfillment, when there is beauty, we see, when we see God as he truly is, then boredom becomes impossible. And we experience an endless wet reservoir of fascination and satisfaction. So... What does heaven offer? Look on your outline. Heaven offers satisfying resources. Satisfying resources. If you look at Revelation chapter 21, I want you to look at the second part of verse 6. Here's what he says. Speaking from the throne, I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. To him who thirsts. Did you know it's possible to live 80, 90, even 100 years here on earth? And still come, on the, on, come out on the other side, still thirsty, desiring more, that there was no satisfaction, there's no true fulfillment that this life offered. You see, the picture that we have here in verse 6 is a picture, look on your outline, of being content. Being content. How, how many of you find that difficult, to be content? It's extremely difficult. It's, listen, this life and what it offers never satisfies. Solomon, you remember his story? Solomon came to the same conclusion about life. He shares his experience in the book of Ecclesiastes. He says, the things of this world do not satisfy the heart. And he went through the letter. If you look at the book of Ecclesiastes, he goes through and he talks about the world. He says, it doesn't satisfy the heart. Its accomplishments, its power, its wealth does not satisfy he, he goes for, even further than that. The things of the flesh do not satisfy the heart. The inner desires, the, the lust, even when that lust reaches out and it grabs hold of what it wants, it still, you still come out on the other side empty. Empty. That was Solomon's take on this life. Now, some of you are sitting there and you're saying, boy, you're really sounding kind of discouraging here about life. Y'all, in, in a lot of ways, it really is. Because this isn't the life we were created to enjoy. 
This is the life where we come to understand who God is. This is the life where we begin our journey with Him through Jesus Christ. This is the life in which we, 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 we begin to, 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 to share with others and bring people along to bring them on the other side to the life that we were intended, which is eternal life. Listen, however... While this world does not satisfy, however, in the world to come as it relates to heaven, listen, we will find contentment and fulfillment like we've never seen before. Next, satisfying resources lead to being complete. It's not only being content. It's a whole idea of being complete. That means everything just seems to kind of come together. You see, many are looking to this world to find something that will complete them. The young ladies looking for the young man. The young man looking for the young lady, the the special car, that certain house, that certain career, that job. If I can just get to this point in my life, we think all these things, if we can just get there, it'll bring the truest sense of satisfaction and fulfillment. It's just a small measure. How many of you have ever gotten there and realized that there's some good things about it, but it doesn't seem to be lasting? There's flaws associated with it. It's obvious that the curse has been placed there with those things. That's what we're finding. You see, listen to this. The quench for the thirst of this world is only temporary. Do you remember Jesus? He's there. He's speaking to the woman at the well. Do you remember that story? The Samaritan woman. Do you remember what he said? He said, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. Do you know the implication of water the first time he uses it? He's talking about the things of this world. He's talking about literally water. You're literally going to put this water in you, and, and, and it's not going to be but several hours before you're going to want more water. It will never fully satisfy. But then he goes on and says this, But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give shall never thirst. You know what he's doing? He's pointing to heaven. He's pointing to the complete fulfillment of what awaits the believer at the end of all this. He's pointing to that moment. Look again at Revelation chapter 21. Look at verse 6 again, the the middle part. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. You see, in heaven, we will both be content and complete. The reason this world leaves us empty is because we were never intended to find our satisfaction in this world. This is just a temporary place. We're just kind of, you've heard the terminology, we're passing through. But you know what we want to do with our flesh and what the world offers? We want to anchor in and make this home. This isn't home, y'all. It's not home. Home still is out there for us who know Jesus Christ. Heaven offers next satisfying responsibilities. In Revelation chapter 21, I want you to look at verse 7. He says this. Now, this is coming from the throne. He says, he who overcomes shall inherit all things. Now, now, of course, the terminology, he who overcomes, is is the idea of one who exercises saving faith. When you come to God on the terms that Jesus met and you receive him as your Lord and Savior, guess what? You're exercising saving faith. And that's the whole terminology of he who overcomes shall inherit all things. What are we going to inherit? How are we going to do this? Look on your outline. By reigning. By reigning. Psalms 47.2 says this. For the Lord most high is awesome. He is a great king 
over all the earth. Revelation chapter 2, verse 26 says this, and he who overcomes, you know what that word means, or that phrase, he who exercises saving faith and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give power over the nations. I will give influence. I will give reign over the nations. You see, there's many who believe. You ever done the study of those beings like we did several weeks ago, of the beings around the throne of God? I think we briefly talked about it, but the 24 elders, you've heard of these guys? Some estimate that this, the 12 apostles and the 12 tribes, basically the two covenants sitting there uh, as a testimony of God's covenant with man. But other people believe that it's more widespread than that, that those 24 represent all the redeemed who are gathered there around the throne of heaven. And what's interesting is the terminology. If that's true, the terminology that he's using is the fact that they will sit upon thrones. They will rule and reign with him. We know that's in Scripture. Look at verse 7 again. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, not only by reigning, but by serving. By serving. Genesis chapter 2. Now, let me tell you something about heaven. It appears, as I said last week, we have clues for what heaven's going to be like from several places in Scripture. One of the best places that you find most of the clues are what's going on in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. There's a lot of clues as what it's like to live not being under the curse, living right there, okay? Other clues come by way of, uh, of what the Scriptures say about heaven itself. And then there are those times in which we look at Jesus and we see what he was capable of doing with his glorified body or his resurrected body. So we find clues all over the place. So, so when it comes to this idea of serving, what, what's it going to be like out there in the eternal heaven? Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. This is before sin entered the garden. It says this, Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. You know, you, know what, you know what he's doing? He's got a job. He has responsibility. He, he's working. He's serving. Work, listen, was not part of the curse. The curse, however, made our work difficult. You do know that. The Bible is very specific. Thorns, insects. I, I wish it would just come out and say that insects will not be a part of the eternal heaven. Yesterday, I was mowing the grass. I got to the side yard, and I was coming through there, and I was, I was, I like mowing. You know, I, I much prefer to have a riding lawnmower, but our yard is a little small, so we push it, and I still can get happy about that, you know. I was sweating, and I was just kind of thinking, you know, thinking, oh, this get to preach tomorrow. I wonder, wonder how can, you know. All of a sudden, I got lit up. Evidently, I went over a yellow jacket nest while I was mowing the grass. And all of a sudden, something hit me, and then something hit me, and so I looked down, and I had them all over my legs. I went running through the neighborhood. I mean, I, <laughs> my yard isn't big enough to get far enough away from them guys. So I went running, and I, I didn't know that you, at some point you got to stop and knock them off because they keep coming at you. And I'm telling you, the last 24 hours has been a bear. <laughs> but you know something? I can't wait for the day when all that junk is removed. <laughs> No more yellow jackets. You know, you know, them things are mean. How many of you have ever been bit by one? Don't they just make you mad? I mean, it just angered me. I went from happy thoughts to, man, I, I, 
I mean, I'm just angry. I'm going to move on. I'm confessing to you. But anyway, the curse, however, made our work difficult. The thorns, the insects, the fatigue. Revelation 22, 3 says this, And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and His servants shall serve Him. Shall serve Him. You see, work in heaven will not be a drudgery. It will be fulfilling and purposeful. How many of you have ever had how many of you have ever had a job that didn't appear to be purposeful? <laughs> it's the same thing. I mean, I've worked in retail. I've done several things with my life. Crop tobacco. I know center. Well, I, I, our family were tobacco farmers when I was younger. And so so I've done all those things. I've been up and down them rows. I've been up and down them aisles, stocking shelves. And and I'm just gonna be honest with you, there, there's a lot of thought to what's the point in all this? <laughs> But you know something? There's going to come a day where everything we do has purpose, has meaning, deep meaning. And I think that's what's being described here. You see, I personally believe work and serving will be part of our worship to him. The Bible says in Colossians chapter 3, And whatever you do, do it hardly as to the Lord and not to men. That's a clue that even our work here on earth can be seen as worship to him. You see, it appears that when the faithful servant enters heaven, he is not offered retirement. Now think about it. I've, seen, I've been in this church long enough to see a bunch of you guys leave the workforce, become retired, only for you to tell me, I'm working harder now than I did when I was working. <laughs> and I see it. It's, I mean, I watch it play on your life. You know, you know why? Because I think there's that sense that we've all been, there's something building us that, that we are to work and we are to do it well. And I think there's something to that. L- listen to what Matthew 25 says this. It says this. It, it's a parable Jesus taught. It says, His Lord will say to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. The whole idea, enter into the joy of your Lord, many scholars believe is a reference to heaven. It's a reference to what is to come. And it's the whole idea, you've been faithful with these small, what seem to be menial things here on earth. But guess what? When it comes to heaven, it's going to grow. There'll be fulfillment and there'll be responsibility. You see, work and service will be part of our experience in heaven. Work and service in heaven won't be frustrating of fruitless, of something that's fruitless. Instead, it will involve lasting accomplishment and fulfillment, unhindered by decay and fatigue, enhanced by unlimited resources. We will possibly approach our work with the same enthusiasm we approach our favorite sport or hobby. Now, I'm one that I enjoy sports. If I know tomorrow there's something lined up for me to do, I'd get excited about it right now. I'd be, I'd be even more expressive in what I'm doing. I'm just kidding. But anyway, it just excites me. Oh, tomorrow I get to look forward to this. But, but you know something? How many, of you, how many of you have a job in which every Monday morning, if you work Monday through Friday, you wake up and you're like, I cannot wait for this. I couldn't sleep last night. Here we go. We get to start a new week, a brand new day. We don't come at it that way, do we? But heaven will. Here's another one, satisfying relationships. We talked a little bit about this last week. Revelation chapter 21, second part of verse 7 says, I will be his God 
and he shall be my son. Now, does that mean only males going to heaven? No, it's a reference to all of us. I will be his God, and he shall be my son. So our satisfying relationships, number one, with God. No longer will we be limited in our communion with God. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 3, as I said last week, Beloved, now we are children of God. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when He is revealed, the whole idea of us seeing Him in His completeness, when we see Him that, in that way, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. No more distance, no more dim-sightedness. We'll see Him as He is. But second of all, satisfying relationship with others. With others. There's some of you that I talk to occasionally. And you tell me a little bit about your broken hearts with relationships. Maybe with your children, your spouse. Maybe with your parents. It's tough. How many of you know relationships are work? How many of you have noticed that? It's just work. And the thing that gets in the way so many times are misunderstandings. But yet, you know, when we get to heaven... I think, and I've told you this before, being a pastor, seeing what misunderstandings do to families and even church members and all that, and so much sometimes we think that people are planning against us. You ever, you ever been there, let the enemy slip that one in on you? And you know something? I can't wait until when it's all right there and open and there's no more of this misunderstanding. I think I look forward to not only seeing Jesus in heaven, but that right there that those obstacles will be removed, that, listen, that I can have a relationship with another human being and not have the insecurities that I have and them not have insecurities and him not, them not have dysfunction and me not have dysfunction, all of that removed. Can you imagine a world like that? Next, heaven offers satisfying refuge. No more living in fear. Do you realize that the greatest hindrance to man's accomplishments and satisfaction is fear. Did you know that? If I were to ask you, what are you afraid of? Every one of us in here, we have something that we fear. And, and, and fear seems to be part of this life, but it won't be in the world to come. Do you realize that? No more fear. Some have asked, and this is interesting. I, I've even thought of this. But if there's no more fear... Some have asked, why does the new city that comes down from heaven, how many of you ever thought of this yourself? How come it has walls and gates? Have you ever wondered that? If there's no fear, <laughs> keep fear, okay, all right. Well, maybe that's part of it. But what are we be, be, being protected from? Revelation chapter 21, look at verse 8. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexual immor immoral, so sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which, there, which is the second death. You see, it's the, it's the idea that those things that we are once afraid of, those things that people did that we were afraid of, the, the, the elements, the things that are out there that cause fear in us, it's going to be removed. And, and really, if you, were, if you were God and you were trying to communicate that to people who live in fear, you would probably communicate it in such a way, oh yeah, by the way, there's walls and there's gates. You're going to be protected. 
But you see, there's really nothing that's going to come against us. <laughs> it's going to be removed. So the picture that John is receiving is the fact that, look on your outline, there's no threats. No threats. And even something that we can relate to, there's no temptations. No temptations. You see, the walls and gates seem to represent this protection instead of it being necessary for the walls and gates to protect us. It was there to provide the sense of protection. Can you imagine living a day without temptation and fear or insecurity? You know, it's funny. We as pastors, we attempt to try to meet at least once a week. We talk about what's going on here in the church. We, uh, we pray for, for you guys. We pray for ourselves. But you know what part of our staff meetings include? We as pastors meet weekly to talk about the threats that come to our lives and our ministry. Did you know that that will no longer be a subject of conversation in the life to come? No more of that. How can we strategically protect ourselves from the enemy? How can we strategically protect ourselves from what the world brings to the table? How can we, how can we do those things? Next, heaven offers satisfying rediscoveries and accomplishments. In Mark chapter 10, Jesus said this, Let the little children come to me and do not forbid them, for such is the kingdom of God. Now think about this. Does that mean when we get to the kingdom of God, when we get to the eternal heaven, does that mean that, little, that we'll all become little children? That'd be cool, wouldn't it? I kind of like being eight, nine. Well, well, then girls started popping. Uh, let's forget that part. But, you know, let's go back to eight, nine. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But, but anyway, we, we have all that. And now, have you ever, I think this is what it's referring to. Have you ever seen the awe of a child? How a child looks at things for the first time? Their excitement, their wonder. We know God gave Adam a paradise to enjoy. John Phillips, the commentator, he writes this in his commentary on Revelation. Look at the quote here. He writes, It is impossible for us to imagine what the world must have been like in the dawn of time when it was unspoiled by sin. Each day must have been a day of exciting discovery for Adam. What marvelous new sounds and scents and sensations he must have experienced every day as he explored the vast wide world that had been entrusted to him to develop and rule. Have you ever thought about that? I have. I think that's pretty cool to think about, to be honest with you. Everything that God... You see, I believe heaven will hold the same wonder. Next, how does it look? Satisfying uh, rediscoveries and accomplishments through nature. Through nature. And I know this sounds dorky. I, I, don't, I don't know. But anyway, how, how many of you like Discovery Channel? I, I told you how much I like it. I love to see the animal kingdom and how it plays out. And I'm not inter I don't like the lions killing the gazelles and all that stuff. But, but anyway, it is interesting to see God's creation and to study it and see it come alive, especially when you start dealing with the animal kingdom. Can you imagine? I know this sounds crazy. Playing tag with a lion or a wolf. Can you imagine swimming with the dolphins? Now, some of you are sitting there. You've been on those cruise. Oh, I have. It is a joy, you know. But I haven't yet, okay? I, I, I'm saving my money here. I'm going to get to there, okay? But anyway, can you imagine those things? I believe God desires us to explore and enjoy his creation. It seems, according to Romans chapter 8, that even nature is anticipating the removal of the curse. Some have asked, do animals worship God? I believe they do when they do what they were created to do. 
You see, another aspect of nature is plant life. You see, Adam was both a gardener and a guardian in the garden. He was both of those things. And I think there's a, there's a kind of a, a clue to, to what we may be doing. Next, satisfying rediscoveries through the arts. Think of this. God gives us the ability to imagine. You do know that, right? Have you ever seen some things that men have imagined and seen it come alive? How many of you, it's, that's even pretty impressive, isn't it? Can you imagine what God can do <laughs> with no limit on resources, with what he's about, with what he creates? God gives us the ability, man, to imagine, to create, and even to experiment. Biologists tell us that we only use 10% of our brain's capacity. Now, some of you may use 12. Some of us may only use 5. But anyway, it's around 10%, okay? Now, that's pretty interesting when you think about it. The fall seems to have a limited, seems to have limited our capacity to enjoy, learn, and discover. The Bible talks about harps and other stringed instruments, the trumpets being sounded, the songs around the throne. How many of you, and my wife's convinced of this, Handel's Messiah? She believed God just gave him everything for that, that, that whole thing. I mean, she just believes God just gave him that. She believes that's probably what it's going to be sung around the throne. <laughs> I think it's going to be something greater than that, actually. But the possibilities are there. I believe we'll be able to learn. You see, I, I think when I was younger, I thought once we get to heaven, we're just going to know everything. We, everything. Well, no, I think, I think heaven's going to unfold. We're going to go through and we're going to start grasping things and learning things. One of my goals is to play a piano like Jeff Wren. I want that so bad. I really do. And I'm going to say, Jeff, slide over. Let me get there. Yeah. <laughs> but, but I do. I think, I think there's those things out there. Uh, learning and discovering things will make up much of the events in heaven. Satisfying accomplishments next through play. How many of you noticed that children like to play? Did you know grown men like to play? <laughs> uh, we, but the problem with us as grown men, we, we care who wins. <laughs> but, but can you imagine playing against the best? Running with Eric Lytle, how many, or Little. How many of you remember him, the, the, the Olympian, Chariots of Fire, the whole story? Do you know what he said? This is a great quote. He said, God gave him the ability to run that he could feel his pleasure. That when he ran, he felt the pleasure of God. That's pretty cool, isn't it? Pretty cool thought. How about parents watching their children play? To know that we as parents had a part in creating an environment in which our children can play, learn, and discover. I think the same thing that's within us as parents towards our children, God has for his heavenly children. How about this? Through stories. Satisfying accomplishments through stories. John chapter 21 is one of the greatest verses in all the Bible. John 21, 25. Look here on the screen. And there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written down one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. I think possibly we're there in heaven. We go down one of the main boulevards and we see on a marquee. Jesus, lecturing tonight, telling this story of how he did this. Okay, I think I'll go to that. <laughs>
I mean, we don't know. I mean, it's amazing to think about. Heaven offers next satisfying rest. How many of you like rest? I'm, listen, that, that nap this afternoon, I cannot wait for it. Listen, Genesis chapter 2 says this. Thus the heavens and the earth and all the hosts of them were finished. And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because in it he rested from all his work which God had created and made. Now we know God didn't need a break. We know that on the sixth day he wouldn't, he's barely getting through that day and he just needed to take a day off. We know that's not the case with God. But you know something? Rest is going to be a part of heaven. The heavenly rest, you ever heard of that? Bottom line, here it is, 1 Corinthians 2, 9. Eyes not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered in the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Listen to this. Heaven will never be boring. It will be a place of opportunity where there are new discoveries, where eternity and knowledge unfolds, where fulfillment, contentment, satisfaction, and endless joy are all commonplace. Commonplace. So here's the application. Bottom line. Will heaven be your future reality? Will anyone be in heaven because of you? Because of you. I've had the privilege to lead people to Jesus before. And, and, and listen, there, listen, there, it's hard to get more gratified than leading, leading someone to Jesus, to know that their eternity has been set by a decision that God allowed you to have a part in that, in that whole decision. It just blows you away. But you know something? Here's probably a more important question. Maybe there's someone here today that you're not assured. You're not too sure about this place called heaven. You're not sure that you've come under the terms that God has set forth through his son, Jesus Christ. Did you know we'd love to clear that up here this morning? <laughs> we'd love to invite you to go with us. Would you stand to your feet? Father, we just come to you right now, and we thank you for your goodness, Lord, and we thank you for this place called heaven. Lord, we know that... Uh, so many times we try to set up our little kingdoms here on this earth and try to make it as much like paradise or heaven as we can. And it seems like every time we do it, it, it comes up short. It's always going to come up short because this is not the final destination. Father, help us to know that if we know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we've come to him on his terms, repented of our sins, placed our faith in, in, in your son, that, that heaven is our eternity. Father, help us to, to, to live our lives knowing that there's a world to come. Father, I pray if there's someone here today that does, they're not assured of that, today would be the day that they nailed that down before they leave this place. We thank you for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen.